0: Thank you, God bless you. It's certainly good to be here tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Good to see you. Rudy, I guess 40, 45 years we, we first met. And uh, now we're both old men. <laughs> God's been good to him. He's been good to us. Keep praying for our country. I, I pray for the salvation of... Uh, uh, The President President Biden-elect and Kamala Harris and Donald Trump, we need to pray for their salvation. As we said, Michael Pence is a Christian, but remember, our commission is not to get involved in political arguments, but to witness for Jesus. Amen? So let's be about our Father's business. Dr. Luke tonight, we're going to look at chapter 14, verse 33, but we're going to remain in chapter 12. So when you find chapter 14, verse 33, we'll read that one verse. Stand, if you will. Chapter 14 and verse 33, and then we'll go back to chapter 12. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Think of that. cannot be a follower of the Lord. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. And and we need to keep that in mind in our lives faithfully. God bless us as we take a look in your book for the walk in the world. Lord, we we need you so much this hour. We need you every hour. Lord, I, I know that I've confessed any sin that came to my mind. This day, and I know that I've prayed, but Lord, this moment, we all need you. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to each of our hearts individually. The great teacher, the Holy Spirit, that he'll reign in our hearts tonight, will be obedient and doers of the word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn back to chapter 12. Of course, we're told in Scripture to be willing to forsake our families, forsake our money, and forsake anything for the Lord's sake, amen. So we want to be sure that nothing is first in our life ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking tonight at the rich fool. It's the third Piraean parable. Now remember we had the uh, Galilean parables, and in the end we'll have the Jerusalem parables, now we're in the Piraean parables. Perea is not a place per se. It was a reference to everything outside of Galilee and uh, all these little villages. And so Jesus told these uh, parables as he traveled, and this is the third one. And this is one of Luke's 23 parables, and again, this is unique. And on my notes, you always know that next to Luke, I would have the other passages, which it would be found, and there are no other passages because only, you, only Luke talks about this, uh, this passage. And so it's unique. 18 of his 23 parables are unique. Unique. And the main truth here, remember parables have a main truth. Don't get caught up in all the symbolism, typology, and come up with some new doctrine. Jesus is always sharing a parable. It's not a true story. He gives us a story. He makes up to explain something. It always explains truth. And the main truth here is don't store up things on earth but in heaven. Don't store up things on earth but in heaven. Now when we talk about forsaking, we don't mean that you take all your money and you throw it out in the garbage. And you throw your family out. No, it means that you have to have the Lord Jesus as your priority in life. In everything under the umbrella of family and and work all belongs to him. And you want to be obedient to him in everything you do. So why did Jesus tell the story? Well, he's talking to the multitude about the value of people. He talks about the fact that people are more valuable than the sparrow, more valuable than the raven, more valuable than the lilies of the field. I love Matthew's account of that, which is uh, a little different than Luke's. No contradiction in Scripture. God uses these men in unique ways to view things from their perspective. But Matthew talks about how Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these purple irises, uh, these little flowers common in Israel. And if you take a piece of purple material and put it under a microscope, it's going to be a bunch of black dots. But take a a little petal from an iris and put it under a microscope. It's the most beautiful thing. God clothed it. And he's going to take care of us if he takes care of the little sparrow and takes care of the raven, the dirty bird, takes care of uh, the lilies of the field. And that's in chapters uh, 12, 7, 24, and 27. We pick up now in verse 13 of Luke 12. And one of the companies said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Jesus was teaching a multitude, and he's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in verse 1. And he's talking about hell and how we, uh, we, we, we shouldn't fear things and accept God. You know, right now there's a lot of fear about the virus. We need to fear God more than the virus. And we need to trust God through this time. It is a difficult time, and I know that churches' attendances are, are, are down everywhere. And we struggle, all churches are struggling. And uh, I don't want people to be foolish. we said all along, if you feel sick, don't come. We take temperatures. But I'm thrilled to be in the house of God tonight. And in the Lord's day, I'm thrilled to be in the house of God. And we're stepping out a little bit by faith. But, uh, you know, the man wasn't listening to anything Jesus said. Jesus is talking about several things. And the man interrupts and says, could you help me deal with this problem of my inheritance? You know, sad to say, but in churches sometimes people sue one another. 1 Corinthians 6.1 talks about how you're wrong to take a church brother to court. If you have a brother in church and you have a problem with money, you should bring it before the church leaders and resolve it. And uh, I've known of Christians suing one another, and that's a bad testimony. So he's saying to this man, I'm, I'm not the judge of that. Now, that's interesting because the Bible says one day all judgment's going to be given to Jesus Christ. So why does he say now, uh, you know, I'm not here to judge in verse 2. He says, and he said to him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Well, rabbis were given that kind of judgment in that day. But Jesus has a bigger purpose, doesn't he? He's here for a different reason. One day he'll come back as judge. But he's here now. To present himself as the lamb, and easier now to seek and to say that which is lost. So he's not going to get bogged down in this personal problem this guy has. So this man's concerned about himself. Now, by law, the older brother would get double inheritance. Uh, Ingrig, uh, uh, one of the writers who writes well on this, says the younger brother was asking him to intercede. Uh, that's not the main truth here, but Christians should not ever fight over an inheritance. If, you know, when my mother died, godly lady, she didn't leave much. My older brother's a godly man, and uh, he's uh, been to Bible Collins and loves the Lord. and, And we'd never even discussed fighting over this or question anything. We just said, Bob, just take care of it all. You know, that's how it should be. Yet the more money that is out there makes it a little more tempting to have disputes and to question and challenge things. Um, I'm going to share some scripture on that tonight. But this man, uh, this is the younger brother asking Jesus to intercede. And Jesus says, you know, why do you expect me to get involved? And we explained that that's because the rabbis did that. Uh, he spoke to the man. Then in verse 15, he, he spoke uh, again. Look at verse 15. It says, and he said to him, take heed and beware of the covetousness of a man's life. Excuse me, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. What shall it profit a man if he gains gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You know what I leave behind of importance is not my financial assets. It's do my four boys live for God. Thank God right now they are. I tell people it's not because of me. I made every mistake a father makes. I raised my voice at him, I was impatient. Sometimes I didn't discuss things with him. I just ordered him to obey. You know, and I, I almost killed my one son, Zach. He would do things at school. And I'm teaching Bible. I'm going back a lot of years. He's now in his 30s with three children. But now he's a school teacher, ironically. And I would get called from the college over to the high school because that got in trouble again. It was always mischievous stuff. You know, he never got on drugs. You know, he was a moral guy, but he's always doing stuff that he thought was funny. And I mean, there I never wanted to abandon my kids, but there's times I thought about killing Zach, you know? And yet, I get a letter a few years back from China, from his pastor of the underground church. Thank you for what a godly young man you raised. He's a fine deacon and blah, blah, blah. And he made teacher of the year in this Christian school. And I'm thinking, God, it had to be you, you know? And and we we understand that the assets we leave behind financially are meaningless. Meaningless. What we leave behind is our testimony, our children, our grandchildren. And those things matter. Those things matter. And the other things don't. Um, notice in verse 16, uh, we'll look at verse 16, and you have the notes, but he, he spoke in a parable now. He's going to tell the story. To illustrate the truth, it's not a true story. The word parable we've explained means to throw alongside of. He said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my goods? And the story goes on to say he built bigger barns and bigger barns. You know, he just had so much grain and so much product that he just had to have bigger storehouses. So we have to evaluate Scripture carefully. Matthew talks about laying up for yourself treasure in heaven as well. Similar passage as this, but not a parable. And we realize that laying up treasure in heaven is is very important because Scripture talks about it several times. How do we do that? We give. And we give cheerfully. The Greek word there, translated cheerful, is the word hilarion. We get a word hilarious from it. We give hilariously. That's how we invest in heaven. Missions, your church, helping people. Be a cheerful giver. Don't have cirrhosis of the giver. Okay? Be cheerful about it. Love giving. And I know some of the greatest times of my life were giving. I can tell you stories about receiving. I mean, but giving is always such a fulfillment and a thrill in your life to be able to help somebody. But we're not supposed to brag on that. We're supposed to kind of keep that secret, aren't we? But let me tell you, on the receiving end. I've been blessed as well, and I know that God has blessed people over the years to do things for me. I was telling Lloyd tonight, we were out visiting, and I said, the first meeting Mary and I had, I was just, I, I mean, I don't know how in the world God ever used me to start a church, because <laughs> I was still rough around all edges, you know. Twenty-something <laughs> years old, I was getting ready to go to Panama to start a church in the Canals, and thank God my father-in-law was there to help me out. But we jumped on a little Mazda with a little bit of gas in it, about a half a tank and we had our baby in the back, Jeremy, who's now 38 or 9. And uh, we had a half a tank and I said, well, let's just go by faith. We didn't have any money. So we prayed and we're getting ready to back out and a lady from our church pulls in behind us and said, the Lord laid it in my heart to give you guys $20. She said, y'all, not you guys. And she gave us $20 and I thought, wow, that, that is something that the Lord woke her up and she's at my house at 7 in the morning. I knew that's God's blessing, but I'm still an idiot because I shouldn't take a trip without having some money anyway. You know, that was just, I'd learned so much about faith over the years. By my senior year, I really believed it, and thank God I did because I stepped out by faith. <laughs> we didn't have anything to eat. We couldn't pay our bills. We lived on potatoes and whatever in our little trailer on Tree and Sky Mobile Home Park. So we jump in the car, and we're driving to Atlanta. We figured out about $5 or $7. dollars would fill our little little up back then. We thought, we have enough money to stop and get a meal, and we get to Tampa for our first meeting. Well, 100 miles north of Tampa, we miscalculated. We ran out of money. We ran out of gas. There we are on I-75 with nothing. You know, Bad grammar, without anything. And we just prayed, and uh, I thought, well, you know, uh, here we are. No money, no gas, no gas can. At that time, a semi-truck pulls off the side of the road, and the driver gets out. So I think, well, I'll go give him a track. So I grabbed one of my God's simple plans, and I ran across four lanes of I-75 and walked up to him and said, I want to give you this. Maybe you need that. He said, well, maybe I do. He said, all of a sudden, I got sick to my stomach. I don't understand it, now I feel fine. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I ran out of gas. He said, well, I've got a courtesy can here. It's a five-gallon can. I want you to take and go put it in your car. I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't have any money. (laughs) We're broke. Oh, no, it's a courtesy can. Take it. So I put it in my car, and we made it to Tampa. That's where it all started. And I realized at that time, he's going to take care of me. And what does Solomon say in the Proverbs? Don't give me so much that I'm rich, but, Lord, I don't want to be hungry either. And we like to have a really good life with all this money. But look at the people with an abundance of money. They have more problems than you can imagine. Their kids are fighting. They don't know which investments. They worry about their interest rates and all their valuables. My uncle, who is a wealthy man and a Christian man, gave a lot to the Lord's work, said, Dan, one thing about being wealthy, you worry a lot about your assets. We go on vacation, our house is broken into. We have to have the most expensive alarm. We worry. He said, go down the street to a normal subdivision. They can go on vacation. They can leave their front door unlocked. And, you know, It's true. You don't want more than just enough to take care of your needs, and God promises to provide food, fashion, you know, and He, he puts a roof over our house. Food, clothing, and shelter. He takes care of us. Excuse my slip of my uh, tongue there for a minute. But uh, here, back to I got off. The, I got way off the subject. But in verse sixteen, we find here um, this man's share in his story. In the beginning, in verse seventeen. He starts, the Bible said, any thought within himself, you know, he diagnosed his little situation is the word there, and he's an intelligent man, but he's a fool. Did you know people can be very intelligent and be a fool? See, wisdom comes from God. I mean, you're dumber and dirt if you believe we came from monkeys, but there are people with IQs of over 200 that believe that. And yet, I'm an average guy, and I could never believe that. Because God's instilled wisdom in me that he created everything, and that's what his word says, and I take it by faith. And so here's a man who's smart, but he's foolish. He said, what do I do with all my, 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 my? He says, my, 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 my. And then he has eye trouble. What shall I do? This I will do. I will pull down my barns. I will bestow all my... I will say to my soul, verse 19, he had eye trouble. He had eye trouble. Uh, You know, he was so concerned about his own world and not concerned about anything else. He was a servant to the sin of covetousness and greed. And that's what happens to people who live their lives for money. The Bible says labor not to be rich. My brother always wanted to be rich. He's a Christian guy, but he wanted to build a big business. And he said, when I I get my business built, I'm going to give a lot to missions. Dan and my dad said baloney or malarkey, one of my dad's words, malarkey. And we're at the dinner table and, and my brother Randy perks up. My dad said, if you're not giving now, you're not going to give when you're rich either. Now that's not talk to talk about my brother. He's a good guy and he's, he's in church and all that. But He was a young guy when he said that. Oh, when I get rich, I'll give. If you're not giving now, you're not going to give when the ship comes in. It's just not going to happen. Because your heart has already shown you that you hold on too much. We're born, babies are born like this. It's hard to ever let go. One of the first words babies say after dad dies, mine, mine. My two-year-olds all learned that word, mine, mine, you know? we're, we're born with a sinful nature, and we're greedy. So he's going to build bigger barns, and they have discovered, these archaeologists have discovered large silos in the Holy Land. So there were people with a lot. Leviticus 25, 23, we're not going to look it up right now for sake of time, but it says, everything belongs to God. And that's something we forget. Everything you have belongs to God. And if we obeyed the principles of money in Scripture, we'd be so much happier. I don't know how many people I know that have loaned money or borrowed money and couldn't pay it back. It's a bad idea to loan money. Everything about money is is discussed and taken care of in Scripture. Someone asked Rockefeller how much money was enough. He replied, one more dollar than I have now. Man is seldom content. And you know what scripture describes godliness as? Contentment is part of godliness. People who always want more and want other things, they're not content. You have to be content with what you have. You know, when you first get married, you don't have much. I remember we had uh, East Lake; we rented a furnished place, and it was kind of dumpy. We had a rat about that big. My wife woke me up in the middle of the night and said there's a rat in the bathroom. I said it's not a rat, it's a mouse. Go back to bed. And she said, no, I'm not getting back in bed until you get up and take care of that mouse. And I got up and I walked into the bathroom and standing on the back of the toilet was a big old rat. And I mean, i would never been that close, you know, to a rat other than a few guys in high school I didn't like, but I grabbed something to hit it and I swung and it jumped up and ran right between my legs and under the door and down into the basement. I tell you what, I jumped, hit my head and the arch with at the door. And I oh man, the next day I had something built under. My wife said, I told you it was a rat. She knew, she grew up on the mission field and she knew what rats looked like. The only thing I could say was rats. But um, anyway, Yusef the Turk, you have this in your nose. He, he was a wrestler back when wrestling wasn't fake. He won $5,000 on a wrestling match, and he demanded they paid him in gold. And he put it all in his belt. You have the story. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship began to sink, and he leaped for a lifeboat and missed the boat and sank to the bottom of the ocean. It's a true story. Kept his gold. What shall it profit a man if he wins the gold in a wrestling contest and loses his own life? You know, but... Finally, in verse 19, the man says to himself, I have lots of stuff, so my soul needs to be merry. You know, uh, Isaiah 22, 12. Let me read that to you um, real quick. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to... I'm reading the wrong verse. 22, 13. And behold... And behold, it says in verse 13, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. That is the philosophy of so many people. When you talk about death to a person who's not saved, they think, well, I better go out and have a good time now. They're so far from God. Only God can change those people. And we—it's we, wonderful. The New Testament. One of the great Greek words—the word changes our word, metamorphosis. No one can explain that a caterpillar with fourteen legs crawls up, makes this cocoon, lives in that cocoon, and miraculously changes into a butterfly. And you open that cocoon, and what happened to the other legs? They're gone. Nothing else in there. And that's what the word transformation or transfiguration means. In other words. We're in a political season, and I've preached this and talked about it so much. Don't get caught up in trying to change people's political views. They are of their father. The devil, they're going to think opposite of you. Reach people for Jesus and let God work the metamorphosis. And as they grow in Christ, they're going to be more and more like the master. And be patient with them. Sometimes, you know, when I was in Maranatha and Okinawa, we had people get saved and I thought to myself, what a knucklehead. And then I'd look back to what I was when I was a teenager. And I thought, is this person, what, I thought they'd been saved. Well, they haven't matured yet. God's not finished with them. They start to grow. And a few years later, wow, what a difference. God is the difference maker. We plant the seed and we water, but who gives the increase? God. So, you know, keep seeking the lost, but let God do the miraculous work on the inside. And so his soul, uh, he, needed, he needed to be saved. Obviously, verse 19, he said, I shall say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good. Let's just go ahead and be merry. And verse 20, God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Tonight, you're going to die. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself is and is not rich and is not rich for God. So is he, excuse me, I, my emphasis was on the wrong words. The person who lays up treasure on earth, that that's that person. He's not rich toward God. Now let's look at some scriptures. And if you're on the, the 53rd, page 53. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Job. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Look at a few verses about money. And we wrap this parable up. Verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken of the sun. Look what he says. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. What happens to everything? You leave it behind. You remember Imelda Marcos? She had 10,000 pairs of shoes. You know, I'm glad because for the rest of it made us feel a little better about the 10 or 20 pair we have, you know. There are people without a single pair of shoes. But I want a brown dress and a brown casual and a black dress and a black casual and some good tennis shoes and some yard work shoes. And before you know it, you have 10 or 20 pair of shoes. So it's easy for us to look at Emilda Marcos and say, you know, She's got too many pairs of shoes, too many pairs of shoes. Well, how many do we have? I'm not asking for an answer. But see, it's so easy for us to point fingers. James says in 1.10, and you can do this all later, but we always go through it quickly. As the flower of the grass, talking about the rich person, he shall pass away. He shall pass away. We don't talk about rich people from 100 years ago very often, do we? We don't, we don't say, oh, man, he used to drive that. You know, we, we, they're, a, they're a memory, a, a distant memory. And when people die who have a lot of assets and go out into eternity, you don't hear people talking about them 100 years later. They're gone. They're gone. Notice in the man in the parables was not condemned for being rich. It's not wrong to be rich. But for hoarding. Matthew says it's okay to store things, we're to lay in store. But there's two different words translated store or storehouse. One is a stockpile with a purpose, and the other one is a stockpile just to stock things up. In other words, it's okay to save if you have a purpose for saving. If you say, I'm saving because we need a new car, need is a key word there. I'm saving because our roof is bad, we need to replace the roof, or we need a bigger house. I remember coming back from the mission field, I thought, I, I can't afford a house with four bedrooms, and I couldn't put four boys in one room. They had to kill them. I was in the room with my two brothers, and I was the youngest. I tell you, I didn't want that for my baby boy. And, and I remember, I, and Mr. Tabor, a godly friend, said, I'll, I'll build you a house, Dan. I'll tell you what to do step by step, and you can save 40 to 60% of the cost of the house. So I built a house for $100,000. It was worth double when I got it done, but I needed it. Now I want something smaller. But you know, when you get the house done, if, if you let your eyes gaze at the wrong things, you start to think, Well, that guy over there has a bigger house, or that guy has a nicer house, or I don't have this, right? And before you know it, you're acting just like the world. And you have to back up and say, I have everything I need, need. So it's not being rich. It's laying up money with no purpose, a stockpile without a purpose. It's okay to save for your kid's college. It's okay to save for the new roof, the car. But when you say, I have every, all the bases covered, I got a big pension, I have this, I have that, I'm debt-free and all this. So I'm just going to start stashing money for a rainy day. That's where you go wrong. That's when you pray, God, what do I do for others? In fact, it should start with others. We shouldn't even get to where we have all this extra money. And I don't think many of us do in this room. I know most of you or know of you or a little bit about you. But once in a while, maybe somebody listens to our videos on, the, uh, on our website and may listen to this message and think, you know, I have a lot of money and I'm getting older. Maybe they could give to some need somewhere. If you're listening uh, later this week, uh, you know, maybe God will lay it on your heart to help someone. As I said, the greatest times of my life were when I thought of other people. I don't want to lose my reward. You know, if, if you tell a story and you get a pat on the back, you have your reward. But every one of you that is given knows how it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, I, I love the stories about going to Florida. But my son Daniel and, and my boys could share some other stories that we love. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of evil. Not money, the love of it. And also 1 Timothy 6, 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation. Now let's look at Proverbs 23, 4. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 23, 4. Says here, labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Now look at Psalm. Psalm. Chapter 39. Psalm 39. I already quoted that one, so I didn't need to go there. But we're going to read these verses in a moment. But Luke tells us in chapter 16, I'll ask you the question. The answer, you'll know. What do you think is highly esteemed above men? Luke 16 tells us. You know what it is? You know what impresses people? Money. Money. People are impressed by money. And if we're not careful, we become a respecter of persons. In my life, I've experienced it, so have you. Where you find out this guy, he's a government official or wealthy, and you want to make sure you treat him right. Jesus taught the opposite. He said, Woe unto you that take the chief seats. You should let the poor come and take these special seats up front. In a Baptist church, you don't worry about that. Very few people sit in the front pew. But back then it was prestigious to get the front seat. And the rich and the famous took those seats. And Jesus said, Shame on you. Jesus talked about being a respecter of persons. James really nails that, doesn't he? And so many times people esteem money and people with money. Let's read these Psalms now. And they all teach the same thing about possession Psalm 39 6. Surely every man walketh in vain in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Look at 49, chapter 49, and we'll have about four verses here to read. 49, 10. 49, 10. "For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Verse 11. Their inward thought is that if their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations, they call their lands after their own names. Verse 16, be not afraid, be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. Verse 17, for when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away, his glory shall not descend after him. Who cares who was rich a hundred years ago? I mean, how old is our world? Maybe 6,000 years. I believe in a young earth. I don't believe in the uh, time between 1, 1, and 2. It, I mean, some believe there's millions of years, years between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. Schofield believes that. I believe in a young earth, as we know it anyway, that earth is 6,000 years old maybe. I don't know. Don't, don't come up afterwards. That's 5,500, brother Dan. I, I, I'm not saying I know that, but I'm saying I'm a young earth guy. But you know... Of anyone hundreds and thousands of years ago, besides Solomon, who was rich, and we still talk about all his wealth and all he did? No. Why do we talk about Solomon? Because it's recorded in God's Word. Rich people, they don't leave anything behind, they're a forgotten memory. Who did the psalmist envy according to Psalm 73? He envied the prosperity of the wicked. David said, uh, you know, the psalmist, excuse me, Agar said, Asaph, excuse me, said, Oh, the wicked, they prosper and they live wickedly. And the Bible said, don't envy that. Remember this we are eternal beings. Your life, if you pick out a tiny spot on that wall and you got very close to the microscope and you found a tiny spot, that's bigger than your life in comparison to eternity. A tiny spot compared to that whole back wall, because eternity is forever. You're eternal beings. The few years we're down here are meaningless, except what's done for Christ. See? Get an eternal perspective, folks. I know of Christians that have really suffered, and so do you. Some physically, some emotionally. Just suffered and suffered and suffered, and you see them, and you cry, and you, it seems so unfair. But you know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The least of these. So if you feel you've got a raw deal and you don't think it's fair because of all your problems, remember this. The least in this life will be the greatest in that thousand year millennial kingdom. Isn't that something? We're going to be shocked when we get to heaven. I love Dr. Robertson. I appreciate that story. He was always gracious with me. Years ago, I came home on furlough. We were in Ryan's restaurant and I was trying to figure out how much we could... We could get drinks with, with our buffet. And the lady said, Your meal's paid for. Who paid for That gentleman there. And there's old Dr. Robertson. Yeah, I love that guy. And I believe he's a great evangelist. And it just, he baptized 40,000 people in this area. So I, I have high regard for him. So I'm not saying this to slight him because you know I respect him. We get in heaven, though, we may be shocked. It may not be a mega church pastor. It may not be a famous Christian author or a radio speaker. It may be some custodian who is faithful to God all his life, witnessing, living for God, loving people that may be in the front of the line with the rewards. And then he may be the greatest in the kingdom. I know I'm not going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'll be the low, in the low end of the totem pole, you know. I'll be the guy, we won't have to clean restrooms, but I'll, I'll be the least of these servants. And, and, and so when you feel it's not been fair, I'll pick on Lloyd. He said when he had his stroke, he was upset. And this, then he had the diagnosis of Parkinson's that really bothered him. And, but God's going to bless him. In Everyone, and Lloyd knows there's so many people that have been through so much, but everyone who suffers is going to be rewarded. That's why James says, count it all joy. You know, what does it say in Acts 5.41? It talks about you know, to rejoice that you're considered worthy, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't think of it by, by heart, to suffer for his, sake, for his name's sake. Do you count it a privilege if somebody ridicules you because you're a Christian? I mean, it's easy in America. It's easy in America. We have an easy road, don't we? (laughs) You know, we talk about persecution. It may be somebody belittling us. My kids were in China, and they had to move their church several times because the Chinese were always under the threat And my son said, Dad, what I loved in China. Daniel was the chaplain in the school, and Zach, they both worked in the church. He said, someone would stand up in the church, one of these Chinese people, and say, I thank God for Jesus. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. And Zach said, I would just, we would just cry. And he said, we get home, we go to stateside churches, and we don't see that, Dad. We don't see that. And it breaks his heart that, those people are so thankful and we're so spoiled. Scholars tell us that persecution leads to great faith and strength. Matthew 6.33, what should we do? We should seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added. Luke 12.34, Twelve thirty four for your heart treasures. There your heart will be also. There will your heart be also. Luke twelve thirty two. Excuse me. That was Luke twelve thirty four. To give. What is God's pleasure for? To, his pleasure is to give us the kingdom, and then we should memorize John 14, 1 and two. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe. Ye, ye believe me. Oh, I, I, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you this life is nothing but a temporary place for us to seek lost people. Heaven is our home. I'm done teaching and I do preach sometimes, but uh, this is our teaching time. Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, whenever I get discouraged and trials or whatever is plaguing me, I always get assurance from your word. Thank you for it. Bless us now. Be with those that couldn't make it. Uh, For whatever reason tonight, I know some aren't here that are normally here, but God, you know what's going on in their life. We ask you to meet their needs. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.